Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Raider Nation. Welcome to Believe in Raiders podcast, the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Dennis Ackerman, pleased to be joined by former Raider great Stanford route Stan. Raiders return home to take on the New England Patriots on Sunday. Raider head coach Josh McDaniel facing his old team, the New England Patriots. Dan, does it mean more going up against your former team, whether you're a player or coaches, or that just something maybe the media uh, likes to play up in itself? Oh, yeah, it's, it always means a little, a little bit more. I know as a, as a player, you never want to admit it because you don't want to give the other team bulletin board material or just give the media something to run with. But, yes, anytime you're going against a uh, former coach, former team, former employer, it's something that's always going to be a little bit – it's going to be a little bit more meaningful to you. You want to go ahead and make sure that you come out there with a W. So that's something that I think is human nature, and I think within any competitor – you're going to always want to have your best foot forward anytime you're going against somebody that you used to be a part of. All right, here's Josh McDaniels on what Bill Belichick has meant to him. Obviously, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here or, or even in the National Football League if it wasn't for Bill. Um, you know, Robert, Jonathan gave me a great opportunity a long time ago. Um, he, he's, he's been invaluable to me in a lot of ways. Um, you know, hard to measure. Uh, all of them, um, you know, obviously football background, understanding how this league works. Um, you know, I got to see firsthand how, how to try to do it the right way. Um, you know, his philosophy on, you know, everything off season, training camp, uh, in season, um, post season evaluations, draft, free agency. Um, you know, he, he was just, um, he, he gave a lot of his time to me and, uh, I was able to hopefully pick up as much as I could. Um, still got a lot to learn. But, uh, you know, he was um, a great mentor for me, uh, not only in football, but also just in, in terms of, you know, when I got there, I was 23, 24 years old. So um, basically grew up there. So, um, you know, indebted to them, you know, forever for that. Um, and, and getting to go back there um, after, you know, I had my experience with Denver, um, I think that was really a important period of time for me um, because I knew what I had done and what I had experienced and I got to kind of take some time and really try to soak in. All right. I know I didn't do that very well. And now I'm watching him the second time around and maybe the first time I didn't even know to look for it. And now I'm looking for different things, how he handles adversity, you know, what he's doing here in the off season, how he's handling the bye week what's he doing, you know, in April, May, June, et cetera. Um, that maybe I wasn't even clued in on that existed before I left. And so it gave me a great opportunity to kind of look at it through a different lens um, and really try to take some time to process those things while I was watching, you know, somebody that's obviously the best that's ever done it and you know, do it again. And so um, the time for me was, was important uh, for me personally. Uh, and obviously, I, like I said, he's always given to me, you know, time, attention, information. Uh, he's been very open and honest with me about everything. And uh, I wouldn't be standing here if it wasn't for him. All right, Stan, you played eight years in the NFL. I know you went up against the Patriots uh, during your career. Did you ever interact with uh, Belichick uh, when you guys uh, played them? No, no, not not off the top of my head. So, no, uh, definitely, uh, like I said, played against the Patriots, but never had any interaction with him. Maybe like a, you know, handshake after the game, something like that, but nothing, nothing extensive, no. Stan, was there an aura about that team when they had Brady and Belichick and they were winning all those Super Bowls when you played them? 
Oh, you better believe it. <laughs> Do that more about him. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, when you look at Bill Belichick, everything that he's done within the NFL, just within this league, he's obviously the best ever, greatest of all time. And we know Tom Brady, greatest of all time, best ever. So, yeah, there was always an aura just because you could always sense how they were always prepared, how they would make sure that they didn't beat themselves. They waited for you to beat yourself. And so that was something that Richard uh, Seymour used to always, he used to always bloviate about as far as uh, whenever he got to Oakland and just, you know, when I'd sit back, have certain conversations with him, things like that. That's just one thing that I was always in awe of where it always seemed like the Patriots were well prepared for any situation. And so uh, that's something that whenever you're standing across from the other sideline watching them, you just can't help but marvel at uh, it, it just their excellence and how well they're coaching, just Bill Belichick seemingly like he always knows what to do to be able to come out with a victory. Well, Stan, the Raiders are actually one-point favorites despite the fact they're 5-8 and eight, and the Patriots are 7-6 and six, clinging to a playoff position. And basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all your sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events, whether that's the NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BLEAVE to receive your rewards. Bet Online, where the game Starts. All right, Stan, the Raiders got a little good news uh, this week. Both Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro returned to practice. Uh, Waller has appeared in only five games and Renfro just six. Waller has been dealing with a hamstring injury and hasn't played since week five. 16 catches for 175 yards and a touchdown this season. Meanwhile, Renfro missed time with an oblique injury. He has 21 receptions for just under 200 yards in his six games. Stan, I feel like the Raiders' offense has pretty much become a run-first offense. Mm -hmm. uh, so how does the return of these two impact what the Raiders want to do offensively, or, or does it? Uh, I think that obviously you're going to be you're going to see I think Derek Carr be able to go ahead and have be able to open up the uh, pass game a little bit more, uh, have some you know having his weapons back, the aerial attack. Maybe it'll go ahead and take a little bit of the pressure off of a Devontae Adams, get him to open up a little bit more. So yeah, anytime you get your your main horses back, the ones that you have the best rapport with. Yeah, it's obviously going to be a boost in the confidence and just probably a little bit of the play calling and just the overall mindset of the offense. So I look for to see more of a balanced attack this coming weekend versus uh, the run first uh, offense like you just alluded to. Dan, have you ever had an oblique or, or a hamstring? Did you ever have to deal with those either in college or, or pro? Hamstring, yes. Uh, never oblique, but hamstring, yes. That was something I remember my sixth year. I think I, I played the whole year pretty much on a, on a little bit of a strained hamstring. So anytime you have those types of soft tissue injuries, it's something that can linger with you throughout the entirety of the season. And yeah, it's definitely a hassle to deal with. But, you know, in this league, the only day that you're actually 100% healthy is the day you walk into training camp. So everybody's going to have some sort of a bump, bruise, ailment of some sort throughout the Throughout, down, throughout the season down the stretch. So it's something that pretty much comes with the territory. But yeah, I can tell you a hamstring is not something that you just wish 
upon uh, somebody to have. No. How long do you think it'll get these two both? I mean, they've missed a substantial amount of time. To, only four games left in the season. Uh, how, how quickly can they get back up to speed dealing with those kind of injuries? Uh, it all depends. You know, I think that uh, for, for a hamstring, it's something that takes a long time to fully, fully heal. And it's just because that hamstring is fickle. And you could get out there in a the game where you got to really open up, get into that fourth and fifth gear. And then that's when you can tweak it. You can re-injure it again. You can re-aggravate it. So it's something that you can still be able to play at about 70 to 80%. But if you're trying to be 100% optimum, fully healthy, that's something that takes a lengthy amount of time to uh, to accomplish. Well, the Raiders are going to need all their weapons this week. The Patriots' defense is actually ranked ninth against the pass or 12th against the run. They get after the quarterback with 45 sacks on the season, including Matthew Judon with 14 and a half. Stan, is he somebody, do you game plan for someone like that during the week? Or basically you just have to know where they are on every single play that you run offensively when somebody has accumulated that many sacks so far this season? Well, it's a little bit of both. Obviously, you're going to know where they are on the football field at all times, but as an offensive coordinator, you're going to make sure that you do your best to neutralize him, which means you're going to sometimes slide the protection his way. You're going to have the back stay in uh, for a uh, tick longer in pass, in pass uh, situation to go ahead and get that chip on him to go ahead and help out that tackle. So, yeah, anytime you're going against a top edge, a top-notch edge rusher, you're going to always make sure that you put your offense in a situation that he does not wreck the game because somebody of his stature can easily put his, his footprint on this football game with a strip sack fumble for a touchdown, things like that. So you want to make sure that you frustrate him from the very first play do not allow him to get any sort of confidence, any bit of a rhythm, anything like that. So, yeah, you're going to always know where he is on the football field at all times. So, Stan, listening to what you're saying, then I'm not sure how much Waller's going to play. Obviously, you don't either. But from what it sounds like, you're going to see maybe a lot more two tight end formations from, from the Raiders, including that fullback as well. Uh, there's a good chance. Uh, maybe a little bit more max protection. You know, I think that uh, even just having the running back just stay in for a second longer and pass protection type of situations, that's something that can help. Maybe quick game, a lot of three-step drop. Do not allow Derek Carr to have that five- to seven-step drop pass play where you're not allowing Judon to be able to go ahead and pin his ears back and just go ahead and tee off on your quarterback. So there's a myriad of ways to try to still be able to march down the football field being successful without allowing a top-notch guy to go ahead and still be uh be able to get off be able to get after the quarterback. So there's a, there's multiple ways to skin a cat and that's something that for Josh McDaniels from so many years in that New England brain trust with them going against top-notch edge rushers and being able to keep Tom Brady upright, he's well aware that yes, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Even though you're going against somebody who is really good on the opposite side of the ball, there are ways to still be successful and to go ahead and neutralize them. That way, they do not have the advantage. Well, Stan, I'm interested to see what the operators' offensive line is going to look like because it's unlikely Alex Bars is going to play this week. And then the Raiders earlier, they released offensive lineman John Simpson, who came off the bench to replace Bars last week. And then they also released offensive lineman Lester Cotton as well. So let's see what that Raider offensive look, line looks like. On Sunday, you know, Stan, one thing I find interesting about the pay, uh, Patriots, especially on offense, Matt Patricia used to be the defensive coordinator. Then he got yeah. the head coaching job with the Lions. Belichick brings him back. 
and he makes him the offensive coordinator. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. You know where I'm going with this. You're laughing at it. I don't know if I've ever seen a situation like this. And I, you know, I've watched the Patriots a handful of times. I find them extremely vanilla on offense, not a lot of playmakers. Yeah. And I'm probably jinxing uh, myself, as I say, is once the Patriots come out and put up big numbers. But it's just a unique situation. Can you recall in your career or ever seen anything like this? You know, I remember back in 2011, Namdi Osmo had just got to the Philadelphia Eagles. And I remember how I think that the Philadelphia Eagles, their defensive coordinator, I think it was what, Juan Castilla. And I think he originally, before that, was like an offensive line coach, something like that. And so that's pretty much probably the only time I can think of where you're seeing one guy coaching one side of the ball who previously came from the opposite side of the ball if memory uh if memory serves so that's probably the only time i can think of where you saw such a bizarre transition from one side of the ball to the next not somebody who coaches uh tight ends and once once upon a time they coached also running backs or quarterbacks or something like that but seeing somebody go from offense to defense or defense to offense yeah that's something that uh, you definitely don't see every day how tough is that transition stan I would imagine very, very, very tough. <laughs> Gosh, no wonder why Mac Jones has struggled at times this, uh, that yeah. this season. I mean, it's, geez, it's just so, you know, sometimes I think Belichick, you know, we, we all know he's one of the greatest coaches of all time, but maybe he might to try to outsmart himself on this one. See, I got a text today, and somebody was asking me about the Raiders, and he said, I'm thinking about taking them in my pool. And I said, you know what? I've said, I said, I think the game's going to be close. I think, obviously, McDaniels wants to beat his former team, as you and I just talked about. I don't think the Raiders have quit. I think they've played a lot of one-score games. I think if a team's going to quit, uh, they don't play a lot of one-score games. And I, I, to me, this game almost comes down to a toss-up. I, you know, I think the Raiders want to bat for McDaniels. I think obviously he does. I think this is a close game, Stan. I just can't get a fingerprint on which way it's going to go. Do you have a gut feeling either way on this one? Oh, man, I think that after last week, hopefully you know those Raiders go ahead and realize that this season is waning. And they need to go ahead and try to make this season as successful as they possibly can. Uh, blowing that lead to Baker Mayfield and the Los Angeles Rams last week on Thursday Night Football obviously was embarrassing. And to go ahead and try to have a good showing uh, this Sunday afternoon against the New England Patriots, you got an offense who was led by a former defensive coordinator. You got Mac Jones, who at times has looked good this year. At times, he hasn't looked good. He's been inconsistent. Obviously, it's still the New England Patriots who are led by Bill Belichick, but the Raiders can very easily beat the Patriots if they simply play the brand of ball that they are capable of playing. So I think that right now, to me, looking going into this game, maybe I'm just being optimistic. Maybe I'm just being a homer, but I think the Raiders can and will come out victorious in this game. Stan, you and I have talked about this before, about you know how fans want their teams pretty much to lose once they're almost eliminated from the playoffs or they are eliminated from the playoffs. You and I obviously aren't fans of that. And you have talked about how players are also auditioning for the next season as well, yes. whether it's back with the Raiders or or with another team. They, give me one player or, or a player on each side of the football who you think has, has the biggest audition to come back over these next four weeks for the Raiders. And it could even be a coach. How about that? Mm. Oh, well. Uh, definitely uh, Josh McDaniels is, I think that he's somebody that really needs to have a good showing, um, on the defense, on the offense side of the ball. Uh, I would say, and I think most people would agree, Josh Jacobs, I think that, uh, with him not having his fifth year option picked up, he is, he knows that he's on audition right now for 32 teams, which 
possibly could be the Raiders, but more than likely, I'm assuming 31 other teams, given how the Raiders did not pick up his fifth-year option, like I said. And then when you get to the defense side of the ball, uh, you could maybe go with, on the defensive side, you go with maybe a Cleveland Farrell. He didn't have his fifth-year option picked up. You could go with, uh, let's say, uh, you go with Rocky Asin, uh, somebody who's going to want to make sure that he's able to go ahead and still be with the Raiders uh, for a lengthy time. So I think that you have uh, several guys on both sides of the ball, several guys throughout the organization that need to have a good show in these last four games, this last month of football, because they want to either, A, make sure that they can go ahead and secure a contract extension. They can go ahead and prolong their time with the Las Vegas Raiders. And even if they don't prolong their time with the Las Vegas Raiders, make sure that they have enough suitors that are going to be uh, eyeing for their services once the 2023, uh, um, I'm sorry, the 2023 uh, uh, year opens up in mid-March. Stan, let me ask you, I think it's Patrick Graham, uh, the defensive coordinator, uh, auditioning for his job next year. I think McDaniels is safe unless the Raiders somehow get blown out these last four games that are uncompetitive. Um, you know, something similar to New Orleans, I think McDaniels is safe for at least one more year. But I think the Raiders, although we've talked about it, they don't have a lot of playmakers on defense, but I think that defense has regressed uh, enough where I yeah. think he is on audition uh, for next season. Stan, yes. I really think Derek Carr is on audition these last four weeks. And the reason why I say this, if the Raiders – somehow finish five and 12, they lose these last four and they can get a high draft pick and they can get possibly one of these quarterbacks coming out. I think he's been with the organization long enough. He's had two playoff appearances. I just think it might, at this point, it might be time for a divorce and let them go them separate ways. And the Raiders start over uh, at the quarterback position. Uh, if they somehow went out and they finished nine and seven, then I think Derek's definitely back. And then wherever they're drafting, they just take the best possible defensive player at this point, because I think almost everybody, I would say, with the exception of probably Nate Hobbs, Chandler Jones, just because of his contract in Max Crosby, I think everybody's on audition on that defense yeah. uh, to come back for next season. I, I really do. So we'll see uh, how, how it all plays out. You know what, Sam? Uh, I want to switch gears now. And I read on this uh, publication, there's 10 coaches who, all, who are in their first year uh, with their respective teams, and, and they were ranked. And I thought it was an interesting list. It was Mike McDaniels who done the best job with the Dolphins. Mm -hmm. Turn that franchise around. They're now eight and five. They look like they're yeah. in good position to a playoff spot. Kevin O'Connell, first year coach with the Vikings. I think he's done a wonderful job, especially with Kirk Cousins. Oh, yes. You know, they look prone. they're going to win that uh, NFC North. Brian Dable, New York Giants. I mean, they have been bad for as long as we can remember. They're seven, five and one. I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs, but what he's done with them, uh, they rank. He's, ma he's made them. He's made them respectable okay i guess sure. uh, that's probably the best word that you could use because yeah. the new york giants are still not beating any team that's actually average to above average as a football team but the seven and five and one record like you just said that looks a hell of a lot better than the record has been the last several years they have doug peterson with the jaguars fourth because they're five and eight it looks like trevor lawrence is actually starting to play like the first round pick mm -hmm. uh the first overall pick beg your pardon that yeah. it was a year ago. Todd Bowles, uh, he's fifth. Buccaneers six and seven. I, I don't know. I think they've been pretty disappointing myself. But the yes, uh, I, NFC I South, too. Stan, is so bad. I mean, it looks like eight and nine or could win that division, you know, and then they host a playoff game. Then comes Josh McDaniels. He's sick with the Raiders five and eight. Matt Everflus with the Bears seventh. Dennis Allen eighth. Levy Smith, Nathaniel Hackett. I th Stan, I think the thing that, that stains McDaniels more than anything is that the Raiders were a playoff team last year. To me, they upgraded. And added the best receiver in the league. Thank you. 
Max Crosby is arguably one of the top four defensive players in the NFL. Josh Jacobs, you yeah. can make the case, is the best running back right now in the NFL. And here they sit at five and eight. And I give you Mike McDaniel, who's turned the Dolphins around. Kevin O'Connell has turned the Vikings around. Brian Dable, we just talked about the Giants. I think that's the biggest frustration with this season. Ag agreed? Yeah, I think that's uh, <laughs> uh, spot on. You know, you just look at how Josh McDaniels comes in, takes over a team that went to the playoffs last year, and obviously they have not taken a step forward. Still seems like Derek Carr has the same issues that he's had for the entirety of his career. You don't seem like you've really turned the corner with him or anything like that. And then also just at certain times, the Raiders just look inept or the Raiders just simply look like they're not competitive, like you cannot make the second half adjustments to go ahead and either A, be triumphant and win the game or simply hold on to a lead. That way you can cruise to a victory. So, yeah, definitely for Josh McDaniels, he is not taking this team to the next level or to a, or taking the next step. Uh, for them. So, yeah, it's definitely something that's disappointing for much of Raider Nation. All right, Stan, let's get to some NFL news now. And at this week's league's meetings in Dallas, NFL Executive VP of Football Operations Troy Vincent said the competition committee will discuss whether to make roughing the passer reviewable, as well as whether players should be ejected for roughing the passer penalties. And we saw tonight, we're recording this podcast on Thursday night, in the 49er game, uh, Bosa got yep. uh, called for a roughing the passer on Geno Smith, which negated a pick six that would have made it 28 to three. Uh, it, it was definitely clearly not roughing the passer. And as a former defensive player, you played eight years in this in this league, Stan. Would you like to see uh, a roughing the passer reviewable starting next season? Yeah, you know, I think uh, I, I would like to see that, but I can tell you, DA, I'm not sure the league is ready for that. I'm not sure the league wants to now put that in the hands of referees where now everything is left up to interpretation. It's left up to just simply how they're seeing things, just left up to per, uh, perspective, all of that. I think the league wants to go ahead and have it just be something that's a knee-jerk reaction, and then you just live with the consequences uh, soon thereafter. But to be able to put the to be able to put that in the hands of the referees where they go to the booth, they review it, they now go and think about the nuances, the context, and all of that. I'm not sure the league is ready for that right now, even though. I firmly believe that is something that should be reviewable because if you have a defensive lineman or edge rusher, whoever, and like you just said, he's pushed into the quarterback. Well, you know, as a referee, you may not see that in real in real game speed, in real time speed. But if you review it, take a take a look at it. Now, these guys got what a hundred different angles of every portion of the football field. Then you're able to be able to see what's going on. You're able to ascertain. A situation that, okay, you know what? I know how that looked in real time speed, but it was not with the intent at which the initial result would have led somebody to surmise. So I think that uh, it's definitely something the NFL should look at, but I'm not sure that they're ready to open up that new can of worms. Give me a percentage which you think we could see this next year. Oh, I would probably say it's a, maybe about a 30% chance. I would still say 70% that uh, they're going to keep it the same. You think it's that low? Because I honestly stand because I, I feel like the defenses are just such a disadvantage. And this, why, this is one thing that actually might go to the defense's advantage for once because all the rules we have implemented. Oh, it definitely will. You know, let's offense, it it's offense, it's offense. Let's give something back to the defense. And I think this is, I think it's as high as at least 50% because – 
it just impacts the game too much, Stan. And I mean, as a former player, I mean, I know you're supposed to let the play go and you move on to the next one, but it's got to be frustrating as hell when you're down on that field. You think you got a quarterback sack, and then now comes the yellow hanky, and it negates the sack, and it could lead to, you know, could sway the game. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's downright demoralizing. I just think that unless we see in a big-time playoff game, AFC, NFC Championship, Super Bowl, where a game is decided off of a faulty or just a phantom, uh, uh, a rough-in-the-passer call, I don't think that we're going to see that change just because it needs to be impactful enough of a blown call or a call that just simply should not have been made for the NFL to really sit down, take a long, hard look, and actually really consider implementing that as being reviewable. We'll see how it all plays out. Hey, Stan, I don't know if you saw last week, uh, the 49ers, Drake Greenlaw, picked off Tom Brady uh, during the game. And then afterwards, Greenlaw asked for uh, Brady's autograph. Stan, first of all, did you ever do that? Did you ever get an interception of a quarterback? And then I'm going to say, do you have the balls to go up to that quarterback after the game and ask him to sign it? No, I never did that. Uh, but I, but I definitely, I definitely see both sides of it. And deep down, we all know Tom Brady is the most fierce competitor that you know you would ever, ever, ever come across. But I can tell you, on a certain level, on a certain level, you got Dre Greenlaw. I think he's a fantastic player, man. Yes. I really, really do. I, I love a lot of the players on that San Francisco defense. And for Tom Brady, obviously, you don't want to throw the interception, just like right. you said. But whenever another player comes up and either asks for your autograph, a jersey swap, whatever, he's paying homage to you. Now, obviously, they blew out the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday. We know that. But he still is paying homage to you because I tell you this, you really think that if that was some ho-hum uh, nondescript quarterback that he picked off, you think he'd want to get his autograph? No. no. So just the simple fact that he wants your autograph, that shows right there that he's paying an immense amount of respect to you. And the thing is, is that in the game, after the game, for Tom Brady, we just lost. I threw an interception that I didn't want to throw. So there's always going to be that level of competitive nature where, you know what, I don't want to sign that ball. Like, you know, that's almost kind of like taking a loser's mentality. But when you actually sit back and you look at everything in its totality, you actually realize that he's paying you a great deal of respect by wanting your autograph. Because I promise you this, even if Tampa Bay wins that game, Dre Greenlaw still wants your autograph, dude. He still wants to be able to have your jersey hanging, you know, uh, in his man cave. So it's one of those things that in the heat of the moment, obviously, that competitive nature kicks in. You don't want to be thought of as a loser. You don't want to have a loser's mentality. And to be able to smile or to be able to fraternize with the enemy, the opposition, is something that is thought of as having a loser's mindset because you're okay with fraternizing with your opponent, especially after a loss. So that right there in itself, when you step back, take away from all of that, you still see that uh, Drake Greenlaw showed him a great deal of respect. So I definitely understand it. Dan, do you ever exchange uh, jerseys and autographs with players after games? Uh, it wasn't something that was highly repetitive oh, that you okay. now see in today's game. Okay. So it wasn't something that uh, people did a lot, but I'm pretty sure I probably did once or twice uh, throughout my career. Who would you have won if you could go back? Who would you want to uh, exchange jersey with and get an autograph? You could do it all over again. Ooh, <laughs> I probably would have wanted to get Tom Brady's autograph. Okay. Uh, as far as um, as far as a jersey swap, 
Uh, let me see. I would probably say, ooh, that's a good one. Uh, maybe. Hmm. I'd maybe say, man. Uh, I don't know. I'd go with Deion Sanders or oh, maybe ones, Randy man. Moss. You know, oh, uh, so uh, somebody like that. Yeah. Oh no, those are great ones. Let me ask you this: Did you ever? Maybe your first. I'm probably happened in your rookie year. I'm guessing if it happened at all. Do you walk on the field, look across the field at an opposing player, and go, "Oh my God, I grew up idolizing this guy, and now I'm on the same." Oh, no doubt about field. it. I'll do. I'll, I'll do you one better. Okay. I remember my very. I remember my very first practice, <laughs> uh, the very first mini camp. About a week or so after I got drafted, here I am standing on the football on the practice field, obviously, and I see number eighteen, Randy Moss, and like I grew up watching you. Charles Woodson, I grew up watching you. Warren Sapp, grew up watching you. So that was something that was definitely a treat for me, my very first minicamp. I'm like, oh, my God, holy <laughs> This guy that I used to always look at, 6'4". Uh, I remember Warren Sapp's always said this. Randy Moss, you know, some people would say somebody runs a 4'5", or a 4'4", four, 4'3". Four, four, he said Randy Moss ran a 4 nothing. <laughs> That's what uh, Warren Sapp referred to Randy Moss's speed. So 6'4", runs a 4 nothing, can jump out of the gym, and oh yeah, has a nasty mean streak and a high level of confidence and also a high football IQ. So uh, that's somebody who is, is, I remember Clayton Lopez, our DB coach at the time, he referred to Moss as a creature. That's what he called him. He called him a creature. So, uh, so yeah, that was definitely something that, was mesmerizing my very first uh, minicamp practice. How long did it take you to get through that? Just get over the, I don't know if you want to call it fandom or what, whatever it was like. <laughs> oh, man, you know what? Pro I got to do my job also now. No no more of this gay stargazing. You know, they they picked me. I'm on their level now. How long did it take hmm. you to get to, to, to get to that kind of mentality, the mind frame? It took me, it probably took me maybe a, maybe a couple practices okay. just because, you know, Obviously, like I said, we're all humans, you know, and the thing is, is that like, while I still got I'm, I'm confident in myself as a player. Right. You know, when you stand across from somebody who you grew up watching, saw them on TV, things like that, it's just something that you always have that in awe moment. And so, you know, it's something that you just never really get rid of. Like even right now, I see Randy Moss doing his thing on ESPN and things like that. It's just certain players that you feel transcended the game. You just, even for a split second, you still to this day look at them in awe. So, you know, that uh, the, those were some of my moments. Charles Woodson, Warren Sapp, Randy Moss. I can go all the way down the list. But, uh, but yeah, with those three being my teammates, that was, uh, that was my moment. Very first minicamp right after the draft. Very cool. Very cool indeed. Well, hey, Stan, uh, I don't know if you heard, but this week the NBA uh, renamed uh, a lot of their awards. For example, Michael yep. Jordan is now the... You know, the MVP uh, of, the, of the NBA. And I think uh, Jerry West is the clutch uh, performer of the NBA. So I, I'm kind of thinking, man, we should do that with, the, with some of the awards of the NFL. So I want to start with most valuable player. Who would you name the most valuable player in the NFL after? And I don't care what, uh, where, I would what have era. To, Doesn't matter. Uh, I, would, I would have to name it after Tom Brady. Uh, maybe... You could maybe throw Peyton Manning's name in there. Yeah, I would name it after Tom Brady or Peyton Manning. Yeah, I, I would go Tom Brady. He's got the he's a three time MVP, one seven super. Or Blake. maybe, or maybe we can throw Joe Montana's name in the. Mix oh, that's a good one, also. Yeah, but I would go Brady, like you said, three time MVP, seven Super Bowls. 
Uh, five times he's been the Super Bowl MVP, yeah. and obviously he's the greatest quarterback of all time. All right, now I got a good one for you. Defensive player of the year. Who would you give that to? Oh, man, you know, oh, I would say you could throw Lawrence Taylor's name in there. You could potentially throw J.J. Watt's name in there. He's three-time uh, defensive player of the year. Oh, and Reggie White. I would say, yeah, I would say Reggie White. I would say uh, Lawrence Taylor, uh, J.J. Watt. I know some people might want to go ahead and include Aaron Donald. Don't I don't know if he's I don't how many how many uh, defense player to year wars does Aaron Donald have? I think he's got two. I think. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. So yeah, JJ Watt because he's got three. Uh, Lawrence Taylor and Reggie White, Minister of Defense. Yeah, I, I, Lawrence Taylor was my first thought. He's a two-time Super Bowl champion. San, uh, he was the MVP in 1986. Uh, mm -hmm. He's a three-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year, 81, 82, and 86, NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year, and an eight-time uh, first-team All-Pro. Okay, now we'll go to the Offensive uh, Player of the Year. Oh, Offensive Player of the Year. Now, we already went Tom Brady for MVP. I would say you could name that after Jerry Rice. Oh, that's a good one, Stan. I didn't think of that yeah, one. You can mm -hmm. name that after Jerry Rice. Oh, I like that. Now, see, I was going to go Peyton Manning with this one. You know, the two-time Super Bowl champ, Super Bowl MVP, uh, five-time most valuable player, two-time NFL Offensive Player of the Year. But I like Jerry Rice. I didn't think of that one. That, that, mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. That is a really, really good one. I like that one a lot. All right, and finally, uh, who would you go with Rookie of the Year? I oh, went back a man. long ways in this one. Oh, geez. Uh, you know, ugh, man, you could – you could go several different ways. I remember Clint Portis led the NFL in rushing yards his rookie year uh, with the Denver Broncos. I believe it was 2000 and 2002, 2003, one of those years, something like that. Uh, you can go with Justin Jefferson, who's had a hell of a career, and he's only been in the league three years, but obviously studied uh, um, uh, as, a, uh, as a rookie. Oh, man, you could go with – I mean, you could go with Jamar Chase. Uh, but I'd say rookie of the year. I would I I gotta I gotta name that after Randy Moss, what he did his rookie year. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. going Jim Brown. I'm going way back, Jim yeah, Brown. He, him, too. him too. I didn't know this. I looked this up. In 1957, he was named Rookie of the Year and MVP. He's the only player ever to garner both awards in one season. Wow. Right? Wow, I did not know that. I didn't either. I didn't because I was trying to think, I'm like, who were the past rookie of the years? And then like you you mentioned a lot of great ones, and then I was like, I got to check out Jim Brown. And sure enough, 1957 for the Cleveland Browns. That's unbelievable, right? Yeah, that is unbelievable. Wow. I mean, what, what they're probably only playing 12 games, but still, uh, I still think that's a remarkable record that has stood the test of time. So, all right, partner, I'm going to let you get the last word. We're going to go back to it one more time. Raiders, Patriots Sunday, Allegiant Stadium. Who are you going mm. with and why? Oh, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Derek Carr leading the Raiders. And I would say 27-24, it's going to be a close win, and the Raiders are going to pull this game out for somehow, some way. the Raiders are going to be victorious as far as late-game adjustments, being able to make plays down the stretch late in the game, and it's going to be a victorious Allegiant Stadium and not one filled with sorrow. You know what? I, for some reason, I think I'm going to go with you. I think it's going to be a close game. Uh, I, I the Raiders play so many close games. I believe they played nine one-score games. I do think they're going to bounce back. I don't know why. I just have a gut feeling. Uh, I do like the Raiders 24-21. to 21. 
uh, somewhere in that neighborhood, and they'll move to within a game of 500, six and seven, uh, with three games to go in this season. Good stuff, partner. We had on a lot of uh, interesting topics and uh, a lot of fun as oh, always. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, always, my man. You know I love being on with you, DA. All right, Raider Nation, that's going to do it for another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast presented by BetOnline.ag. For my partner, Stanford Route, I'm Dennis Ackerman. Thanks so much for listening, and may all your punts find the coffin corner. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.